0: Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Lots of great ways to get cash flow from real estate. Today, we're going to talk about how to turn dirt into dollars. We'll talk agriculture, farmland development, and a whole lot more today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you've been listening to the Real Estate Guys for a while, then you've heard about the legendary Investor Summit. Simply put, it's the highest-level event we do, and the content, faculty, and attendees are amazing. If you're serious about taking your real estate investment to the next level, consider joining us. You'll spend an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. And you'll have a blast. Join Peter Schiff, Ken McElroy, Tom Hopkins, and the Real Estate Guys for the 13th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. It all begins March 5th, 2015 in Miami, Florida. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more and reserve your spot. The event is more than 80% sold out, so make plans to join us. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star
1: faculty on the 13th Annual Investor Summit. Don't miss the boat. Hello, Real Estate Guys listeners. This is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. Now, I don't usually pitch specific deals on the Real Estate Guys podcast, but I've got one here at the beginning of 2015 that is too good to pass up. Now, here are the specifics. It's a fourplex in Atlanta, Georgia. Total sales price is $210,000. Monthly rent between all four units is $2,600 a month. So great cash flow right off the bat, but here's the kicker. We're going to owner finance this property with $50,000 down. That's right. You don't need a bank. You don't need good credit. $50,000 down gets you financing. Now after taxes, insurance, and property management have been paid, that's about $860 a month in net positive cash flow. If that sounds interesting to you, call me today. 770-924-5450 or email me at ken at gainvesting.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys
0: radio program, now in our 19th year of broadcast. Let's say hello to our financial strategist, co-host Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. It is already an awesome year. It is. It's amazing. Our favorite time of year. Brand new year. Lots going on. It's been so amazing. And a big hello to all the folks who came out to Creating Your Future. Our goals retreat. So great to get around people who are excited about their lives. Absolutely.
2: You know, when you get a chance to be around your tribe, it
0: feeds you and it
2: gives you energy. And what's been so great about this whole new media experience and being able to build a podcast audience, you know, and the radio audience also... And have people come out to live events where you get a chance to interact with them. It's like an automatic filtration process. And the people who are in the room are just the right people. The thing that's interesting about the goals retreat is that sometimes you get people in the room that really aren't into real estate. They don't even know anything about real estate. They maybe got referred by somebody who was in you know, the real estate side of the program. And then they end up coming just because the goals thing is so impactful. And then they're here. And it's it's fun watching them kind of feel the energy and the culture. And then they want to become a part of it, too. So hopefully, as uh, we're talking, we've got some new friends now listening to the show. So welcome.
0: Absolutely. And of course, as the real estate guys, we're out there looking for all kinds of opportunity. Today, we're going to talk about kind of a small niche in real estate, but also some big picture stuff. So super excited. We have two guests on the show today, and I promise you we're going to learn something that you didn't know when you tuned in today. That certainly is going to happen because we've got some great, great stuff. But a big picture on this is that real estate, as you've heard us say, is not really an asset class because asset classes like stocks and bonds and gold and silver and oil and all those things people invest in sometimes passively sometimes a little more actively are all discretionary money A lot of real estate is not discretionary money. You don't have any choice but to interact financially with real estate. You at least have to rent something to live in or someone in your family does. And at some point, you make the decision to buy a home. Then as a real estate investor, you get the bug, as Jim Rohn would say, kids should have two bikes, one to ride and one to rent. So you get a second home to rent out and there's income and you get that bug and all of a sudden you're working on a portfolio. But some real estate investing is different than that. Today, we've got an expert on agricultural land, on farmland. And so we're going to talk about how do you take raw land and turn it into dollars? It's an interesting concept.
2: And if you really think about just real estate at its core, you know, the world the, the world existed. And then, you know, there's buildings that got built and companies that got formed and stocks and bonds and paper assets of all kinds. But really at the very foundation of everything was dirt and land and humans survived and interacted on it. And in a chaotic or uncertain economic landscape you know you have to cling to things that are real we've been talking about this for a long time we have the globes central bankers are busy printing you know fiat money like crazy you say well gee i would expect there to be inflation and now we see deflation and you've got what's going on in oil and you're trying to figure out what's really going on and you say, well, you get to the point where you realize i can't really predict the future i don't really know what's going to happen but i've got to stick to things that are fundamental things that are basic so that no matter what happens it doesn't really matter whatever happens at the end of the day i own things that are going to retain relative value. And so we don't really talk about real estate as an asset class the way you would think of an asset class because there's so many nuances right down to the street, the neighborhood, the condition of the property, the ownership circumstances. But then again it is an asset class from the standpoint of It's a place that you can put whatever excess value you have created. We measure excess value in terms of dollars, right? I go to work, I produce, and out of my production, I get compensated in dollars, and then I consume, and if I consume less than I produce, then I have excess dollars, which is a store of value, and then I have to make a decision. Do I want to leave that value stored in dollars? In other words, would those dollars retain their value relative to other things, or will I lose purchasing power, and would I be better off putting my money? and something else to store the value. We talk about precious metals. People buy futures contracts. People buy stocks. People can buy real estate. And so Jim Rickards is a guy who wrote a book talking all about what's going on in currency. He wrote two books that we highly recommend, one, Currency Wars, and the other one, The Death of Money. And he talks about this idea of the fact that the currencies, because of the central bank policies, are probably more likely to lose value than gain value. And if you're trying to store value for the long haul, he has certain recommendations. And one of those is land. And that's great. And people out there talking about gold. And the big criticism is, yes, but – It's not really an asset because it doesn't produce income. right? And so there's investors who are trying to figure out how can I own precious metals and produce income? How can I own real estate and produce income? Well, real estate is a lot easier to produce income. But then again, when you're looking at what's going on in housing or other forms of real estate, you have a spectrum of real estate that is very primal or basic and essential all the way up to things that are very... Uh, non-primal, non-essential, more luxury or discretionary use, to your point. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things because there can be a lot of money in those things, but it's great to have a mix. And that brings up the broader topic of diversification and how does real estate fit into all of that. So there are many things going on in the macroeconomic picture, which, of course, we talk about a lot on the show. And one of our guests is going to be talking about that today. And that's one part of the picture. And the other part of the picture is how can I own land in such a way that it is an investment, meaning it will cash flow for me. At the same time, it's a long-term store of value, a la Jim Rickards' recommendation of owning land. And then where can I go to learn about that and actually learn how to do
0: it? One of the methodologies that investors employ is actually called land banking. Right. And if you think about that, a bank is where you store your money. Land banking is a store of value for another day. It may not have highest and best use or yield today. Think about that tract of land near you where in the fall it's a pumpkin patch and right after that it's a Christmas tree farm and the rest of the time it just sits there doing nothing. The owner of that land has watched it appreciate in value for the last 20 years. Meanwhile, they get a little bit of yield a couple times a year and pay their property taxes. I know two guys like that that are waiting to do something with the land when it makes economic sense. And so this idea of land banking is putting an asset away, and there's some reasons why you would strategically do that in terms of asset protection, in terms of privacy, all those things. But the other side of it to me is... When I invest in, say, some of that luxury property, you're like, I love investing in resorts and beautiful properties because of the high level of respect and the maintenance and the fact that the people that stay there treat it well and it's beautiful and there's a personal use component, but it takes a lot of dollars. The less that is built on the land, the less it costs. And so it's always a matter of what's your return and we'll talk about some cap rates and percentages on these kinds of uh, properties today, but also keeping in mind that you can control a lot more agricultural land for the same money than you could developed real estate with tenants living there.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, going back to your pumpkin patch or your Christmas tree farm, you know, basically what you're doing is you're leasing it out to an operator. You're not going to generate the income. The person operating the property or using the property is going to do that. You retain ownership of the property. So it's really no different than any other form of rental property. But again, to your point, when you have a lot of improvements on the land, those improvements require a lot of maintenance, and you have a lot of obligations under the law, especially as a residential landlord, depending on the jurisdiction, whereas land banking can be a lot more hassle-free, You know, you don't have the big improvements and things that you have to be responsible for. I mean, we love triple net leases on commercial properties or being a hotel owner where you've got an operator generating income and paying you, you know, to use your property. But those are far more complicated, really, than the basic thing of just owning a a property. It could be as simple as, you know, I've got an acre next to a school and I rent it to the school so they can have their little kids, you have their little garden, you know, and do their thing. And you make a little bit of money on that until someday it makes sense to put a Seven Eleven or something on that piece of property next to the school, and then all of a sudden, you've made a big windfall because
0: you've improved the property. Well, that's a good point. Let's also, as we're listening today, let's think about change of use, because one of the underlying premises of land banking is that when the big value hits is when the use ultimately changes. There is certain property that doesn't ever change its use and then there's property that does and that can be great opportunities. So today we've got a couple of great guests and before we're done we're going to tell you how you can personally hang out with one of the biggest real estate guys on the planet. When we come back we'll talk about some agricultural angles on investing in real estate with our guest Steve Brewer. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host Robert Helms.
3: Live Nationwide, you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com.
0: It's a new year and time to learn some new strategies, discover some new markets, and network with hundreds of other real estate investors at the Dallas Real Estate Investor Expo. With more than 70 presentation sessions and dozens of exhibitors, this is your chance to learn from the experts and meet plenty of prospective team members. It all takes place January 24th and 25th in Dallas, Texas, and you'll save 20% when you register with the Real Estate Guys special code. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com under events and join us at the Dallas Real Estate Investor Expo estate continues to drop belize property is on the rise and many experts think the best is yet to come Hello, Robert Kiyosaki. Listen to the real estate guys. They're wild and crazy, but they really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys Radio program, heard every weekend on this great radio station, all the time at realestateguysradio.com. We're talking today about the opportunities that exist for real estate investors in land and specifically agricultural land and uh, joining us, a gentleman who knows something about that, that's for sure, Mr. Steve Brewer from People's Company. How are you, Steve?
4: Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having us on today.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, this is a special niche of uh, real estate and you know a, lo- a lot about it. How did you get started in the land part of the business?
4: You know, I'm an Iowa native and grew up on a farm and so it's just a natural for me. I uh, I went to college and got a degree in marketing and then right after that got into the farmland brokerage and investment business so i've I've been at it about twelve years now, and my family's still involved in farming
0: all right, so different clientele and uh different user and so forth but uh paint the picture for us if you will of you know where the land business is today where, what's going on today
4: well it's it's actually big business and it's it's somewhat becoming institutionalized as we speak. Your commonplace view of farmland is that farmers are the predominant buyers and and lately Um, With the lack of alternative investments elsewhere and people looking for a safe uh, return, we've had a lot of outside folks that aren't traditional farmland investors uh, look at the asset class as a place to put money. And so it's it's gotten to be pretty dynamic. We've got uh, farmers that we sell farmland to. We've got investors that we sell farmland to. And and it offers a a nice uh, stable cash return, and it also offers some nice appreciation as well.
0: Well, you know, obviously when we look at real estate, uh, we want to understand what the value is today and what the value might be in the future. And, you know, we've been at a theme with the Real Estate Guys for the last couple of years about this notion of investing in real assets, something tangible. Certainly, that uh, fits the bill when we're talking about large tracts of land. Uh, what what are the general sizes of transactions that you have? How much land transfers in a typical deal for you?
4: What? Just to put it in perspective in Iowa and we're in nine states, but uh, Iowa Iowa's where we do the bulk of our business and just the Iowa cap rate of Iowa farmland is two hundred and sixty eight billion dollars. So it's a it's a big market and there's deals of all shapes and sizes. And so uh we'll sell anything from, you know, five acre pieces for people that are just looking for a organic farming operation up to thousands of acres at a time to more of your institutional type buyers. So your average uh, transaction size uh, would probably be closer to two to 300 acres.
0: Now, let's talk about who it is that uh, is your client today. Obviously, farmers are still transacting business, probably buying and selling, but you also mentioned investors. What's the angle that uh, you're finding investors coming in and wanting to purchase this type of property?
4: Yeah, um, in, in fact, we just uh, saw a study the other day. Farmers have been um, about 80% of the farmland market, um, so they're, they're still the predominant buyer. Uh, But that other 20% is made up of the outside investors and absentee landowners. And what we're seeing from those folks are that they're looking for a safe place to put money, low risk in terms of other real estate where you have property tax issues, different assessments, vacancy, that sort of thing. Farmland is just a pretty simple investment. And if you lose your farmer, there's always another farmer in line to farm it for you. and So you've always got that um, cash return coming in.
0: Now, how is it that you value farmland? It can't just be based on acreage. What, what do you look at in terms of the durability of the soil and ability to produce particular crops or history or any of that?
4: Yeah, as, as we're getting into a more mature market, I mean, it's all driven by fertility and yield and the ability to produce. And so uh, most of the folks that we work with on the investor side want to look at that yield production history and see how the farm's produced and what its uh, ability to produce in the future is and then they'll back into what they think is a fair um, cash rental arrangement with the farmer. And the way that generally translates is you're looking to um, get about a 4 to 4.5 cap rate on your traditional farmland investment, cash renting it to a farmer.
0: Okay, so pretty typical to be able to lease it. Is it a long-term lease that you'd lease to a farmer, or is it by season? How does that part of it work?
4: You know, it's generally seasonally, but we'll see a lot of two- and three-year leases as well. Uh, But I'd say one-year leases are more the norm. It's very um, correlated with commodity prices, and so um, one-year leases allow for it to adjust. And, and what we'll see folks do is they'll remain with the tenant for a long period of time, but they'll adjust their rent accordingly to the commodity prices of that season.
0: So as you see commodity prices change, it affects the underlying value of the land.
4: Definitely. There's some variability there, and that's what we're witnessing right now. Farmland has been on a rapid uptick up. Um, with the rise in commodity prices and real assets over the last four or five years. But now that we're seeing crude drop, we're also seeing corn and soybean prices drop. and So that's going to have a negative impact on land rents.
0: Of course, it also might have a, a buying signal for people looking to get into the uh, land business.
4: You know, that's, that's exactly right. In fact, we've been um, a little skittish of buying here over the last two or three years. The values were definitely inflated. And so some of the investors that want into the market, and if, if you go back to the comment I made earlier where farmers are 80% of the buying pool, um, the investors have wanted into this space, but they haven't been able to get the returns that they expect. So now that we're seeing a little pullback in values, we think that the investors will be a larger percentage of the market.
0: Now, what about things like tax abatement or incentives for farmers to grow certain crops, or does that ever come up as you're looking at the value of what a parcel might be?
4: Uh, Definitely no uh, tax abatement. Now, you'll see some different programs that um, different states offer to rent your farm to beginning farmers where you'll get some tax credits for doing things like that. So there's definitely some ways to juice the returns there. The other thing is alternative crops. And so if you can grow a specialty crop for a specialty producer, sometimes you can get a premium for your land and therefore your rent.
0: Now, you mentioned, you know, organic farming. Obviously, that's a trend as we see the nutritional uh, changes that people are making. There's probably always a new need. We see certain products, you know, like kale in, in people's diets that wasn't really there 10 years ago. Uh, how much do you have to monitor those kinds of shifts in your industry?
4: You know, we're we're in the breadbasket of the world in the Midwest. And so okay, it's it's primarily commercial agricultural production where we're at. Um, but you'll, there's more and more investors that are driving some of these decisions where they'll say, I want to invest in a farm and I want it to be organic, and then it'll be our job to go out and find an organic farmer to rent their farm to. So it's it's definitely evolving and changing, but um, predominantly uh, we deal with more commercial type of transactions where you're just uh, growing a, a commodity like corn or soybeans.
0: Now, Steve, one of the things we've heard about land, of course, is that it's difficult, if not nearly impossible, to get a loan on land and use leverage on raw land. Is that different if you have producing crops? Is there lending available on this kind of uh, property?
4: Yeah. In fact, I would say that lending in this area has been one of the bright spots of the lending environment. Um, In 08, 09, and 10, when a lot of banks shut down. There was a lot of liquidity in agriculture, and there was a lot of lenders that wanted to loan money for agricultural assets. So there's really little uh, problem getting finance for a farmland purchase. However, the the down payment requirements are a lot different than you'll see in a residential type of a transaction. We'll see a lot of 25 to 50 percent down payment requirements, uh, depending on the value of the land.
0: Gotcha. And what about appraisals? You know, obviously a a home appraisal, someone might be used to looking at, is going to talk about the market comparable sales, the income approach and, and replacement value. What do appraisals look like when it comes to farmland?
4: Very similar. So we offer appraisal services as well, and um, you'll, you'll look to the income primarily, and then you'll look to comparative sales as well. It's hard to do a replacement analysis when it's, uh, when it's just bare land, So it's primarily comparables and then the income approach.
0: Now, our audience obviously uh, is kind of across the board in terms of the types of real estate they like to invest in. But I'd have to characterize the, the majority of them as residential investors. Where do you see the opportunity for folks to maybe diversify into this type of a, an asset?
4: You know, we'll we'll see some folks that have worked really hard to build up a residential portfolio, one rental property at a time, or, you know, an Aplex or whatnot. And as they get towards another career, um, they'll package up their residential portfolio and tax free exchange into farmland and have a much easier asset to manage as they enter their retirement years. So um, that's a transaction that'd be pretty typical where we deal with some of the clientele that you speak of. Um, another angle um, that we participated in here was uh, what we call transitional development land. And it's farmland that its probably highest and best use would be commercial or residential development in the future, but it offers good income in the short term from its ability to farm it. And so that might be an area where um, you know somebody could invest in a transitional property, farm it for a few years, and then eventually sell it to a developer that would turn it into housing.
0: And are you seeing the areas where that happens, where you transition what was once farmland into a different use? Is that fairly common?
4: Yeah, it, it is. In fact, you know we've had a few transactions um, this this year in Iowa that we worked. I guess I should say last year now, but. Um, where we converted actual golf courses into farmland. And um, so we've seen that go both ways here with slowdown in the housing market. Um, We saw development ground turn back into farm ground. And then now that the economy is doing well again, at least in our part of the world, uh, we're seeing those conversions from farmland back into development land.
0: You know, Steve, early in my career, I worked for a developer, and one of the things we did was scout new locations, mostly smaller stuff, 10, 15, 20 houses at a time, but part of their play was to go out and find agricultural land that could at one day be converted, and of course, the big issue there was always taxes. The tax base for agricultural property was so low in many jurisdictions, when you were to upgrade that into a residential type of zoning, you'd have to pay the back taxes. Is that also an issue is you're looking at uh, acquiring property, what the tax base is?
4: That uh, varies state by state. So in Iowa, where I'm from, um, as long as its use is agricultural, it really doesn't matter what the zoning is. So if you have a property that you're farming, you zone it for residential, and you continue to farm it, you'll be taxed as an agricultural property until you actually convert it to residential.
0: Gotcha. Well, hey, one of the things that you guys do the last several years have put on this Land Investment Expo, which is a one-day event uh, that brings together a lot of the leaders in the industry. Tell us about the event uh, coming up later this month.
4: Um, Yeah, it's um, um, our eighth event. Last year, we had T. Boone Pickens as our keynote speaker, and the year before, we had Jim Rogers, so we always try to bring in a big name, and then we bring in several additional speakers as well. Uh, We're real excited this year. We've got just a wonderful lineup of speakers Uh, Dennis Gartman uh, with the Gartman Letter, he's a commodity analyst that uh, will come and some of these issues that we're talking about with lower commodity prices and how that impacts land values will be very timely. Uh, We've got a meteorologist that's going to talk about weather patterns and how that impacts land values. Um, Eric O'Keefe with the land report out of Texas. Um, We've got just several great speakers, breakout sessions. Susan Payne's coming over from Africa. She's going to talk about farmland investing in Africa. And uh, what I'm uh, probably most excited about uh, this year, we have Donald Trump coming in, and I've actually just spent a little bit of time with Mr. Trump today, and uh, he doesn't know anything about farmland investing, but he certainly knows a lot about real estate and leverage and the economy in general, so... We're excited to have Mr. Trump on the program as well.
0: Well, it sounds like a fabulous event. It takes place January 23rd in Des Moines, Iowa. And if you stick around, we'll give you all the details on how you can sign up for the event. Who shows up at these events? This is your eighth year, so you've got some history. Uh, Who is it that uh, will be attending the event?
4: You know, it's one of the most diverse crowds you you could expect. And I think a lot of people show up thinking we're going to have a lot of farmers in the crowd, and we certainly do. There will be about 650 people there this year. So, a lot of investors, a lot of the institutional farmland buyers in the country fly into Iowa to attend this event. A lot of bankers, attorneys, CPAs, trust officers, other folks that we compete against in the farmland marketplace attend. And so, it's just a really diverse crowd, and it's really unlike any crowd that I've seen at any other conferences I've gone to uh, where you can see a private equity guy talking to a farmer. It's just, uh, it's really a unique conference.
0: All right. Well, it certainly got our attention. Uh, Russ and I are both going to plan to be there, and uh, can't wait to uh, learn more about this fascinating subject. I know you spend uh, your days thinking about this, but a lot of investors—this might be a new venture, a new idea—to think about how to diversify a little bit and uh, and land bank, so to speak.
4: Yeah, it's a it's a different asset class, but once you figure out the benefits of it, um, you get hooked. So. Um, if any of your listeners want to learn more, we, uh, we're happy to visit with
0: them. Awesome. Well, Steve, we sure appreciate your time today. It's been a great education and look forward to seeing you at the event.
4: Looking forward to it. Thank you.
0: Before we're done today, you'll have a chance to hear from Dennis Gartman, and we'll get you all the details on how you could attend the Land Investment Expo January 23rd. Or when we come back. We're the Real Estate Guys. I'm your host, Robert Helms.
3: Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com.
0: Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at MidSouth Homebuyers, has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at estateguysradio.com
2: Hi, this is Patrick Donahoe of Paradigm Life. Over the last few years, I've had the privilege of sharing the services of Paradigm Life with you loyal Real Estate Guys Radio listeners through our website, www.beerbank.com, and also on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. Subsequently, we have seen a variety of financial situations across the socioeconomic spectrum and how everyone, regardless of their situation, would improve their financial lives by following the system we specialize in. As a result of this experience, we have created an online e-learning system so anyone without obligation can learn about the Infinite Banking concept. This free e-learning program is found on our website, www.beerbank.com. So check it out today. The website again is
1: www.beerbank.com.
5: Hi, I'm G. Edward Griffin, author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, second look at the federal reserve and you're listening to the real
0: estate guys welcome back to the real estate guys radio program thanks for tuning into the show today it's a new year new ideas the idea today how can we invest in agriculture in just a minute we're going to hear from an amazing speaker who talks not only about commodities and agriculture but a lot of uh, the economic stuff going on. He's often in the news and uh, sharing his ideas. Uh, before we get to that, though, it is time to play Real Estate Trivia. Your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you a question that kind of has something to do with farms. And uh, when you think you know the answer, you're going to send it to us at trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Just send an email, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your mailing address because the first person with the right answer is going to win a copy of Tom Wheelwright's book, Tax-Free Wealth, He's a CPA and a rich dad advisor, and it's a great book on understanding how tax can be your friend. That can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Last week on The Real Estate Guys, we asked this. The first rooftop celebration, the top one Times square, was a fireworks display that took place in 1904 and was produced by The New York Times to inaugurate their new building. But it was not a ball-dropping. When was the first ball-dropping celebration for New Year's Eve? The answer? It was held on December 31st, 1907. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. In the television show, Green Acres, we're talking about land after all, a couple from the big city pick up and move to the country to be farmers. Which big city did they come from? If you know or want to take a guess, send your answer to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Be sure to include your name, your actual mailing address, so we can send you that great book, Tax-Free Wealth by CPA Tom Wheelwright. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking about investing in land today, and that encompasses a whole bunch. Very happy to have on the program with us the editor and publisher of the Gartman Letter now for more than 25 years, Mr. Dennis Gartman. How are you, sir?
5: I'm doing well. It's uh, an honor to be on here. Looking forward to uh, being in in Iowa to do the, uh, the the seminar. It should be great, good fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. A lot of uh, interest today in all kinds of real estate investing, and uh, we're talking today specifically about land, but that encompasses a lot. Uh, maybe before we get into uh, straight land investment, we can talk a little about oil. I know you've got some thoughts on that, and certainly there's been a lot of talk about uh, the influence that that has on, on land values in lots of different ways. What's going on with the oil?
5: Well, I think predominantly what we're having going on in oil is the fact that the world is, is, is literally awash in it. The Saudis are angry about the fact that they have become, uh, over the past several decades, the swing producer. Uh, they don't want to have that position any longer. They are attacking, for lack of a better term, uh, the what they consider to be the marginal producer, which is the frackers here in the United States, which has really changed. The worldwide view of crude oil, and that Saudis are all angry at the fact that the Iraqis and the Iranians and Golans, other OPEC producers have been stealing their clientele, so they are defending their market share, but they're really trying to put the pressure upon the fracking industry here in the United States to see at what price do you have to take crude oil in order to really shut her in uh, and and reduce the increased production of of fracked oil here in the states so We have an abundance of crude oil in the world. Some are saying that this is an argument that the global economy is is slowing down. I say the weakness in oil is is actually a reflection of the increased supplies. And crude oil supplies here in the United States, we have to remember, it was only a very short while ago that we were producing about 5 million barrels of crude in the States. We're now approaching 10 million barrels of crude. That we have increased from 5 million is where we are importing less. In the United States is going to be a net exporter of crude oil if we continue the, the increased growth in the fracking industry. And North America, let's say Canada, the United States, and Mexico combined, is already a net exporter of, of energy. So this is a, uh, I, I hate to, to the term, but it's the only way to explain it, this really has been a paradigm shift. And I think over a period of time when crude oil, maybe you get a bounce, maybe you can get crude oil back to $60 a barrel. But the era of $100, $110 crude oil, I'm afraid, of, I shouldn't say I'm afraid, I'm happy to say, is not going to be upon us again. We are probably in a period of time when crude is going to remain under pressure and abundantly supplied for a long period of time going forward. It cannot be seen as anything other than beneficial to the economy.
0: Absolutely. Well, you don't have to be a master's of economics to figure out that when there is more supply and more supply and more supply, that pricing is going to have the effect it's had. Then you add that element of the other folks who are producing oil trying to uh, position to get uh, their unfair share, you might say. Uh, All that bodes well for the consumer. Let's talk about what that means to to real estate. Uh, I saw an article out earlier this week about housing prices possibly headed down – because oil was going down, and at first blush, I thought, wait a minute, if, if oil goes down, then distribution, like getting materials to job sites and all those things, should the cost should come down. But I think the point of the article was that many of the areas where we've seen some housing booms in the last couple of years have been kind of areas where oil is part of the story.
5: Well, if you're talking about North Dakota, yes, that's obviously part of the story. If you're talking about Midland, Texas, yes, obviously that's part of the story. And those areas uh, quite honestly, I would not want to be the owner of real estate in North Dakota at this point, nor would I be excited about being an owner of, of real estate in West Texas. Those areas probably have been far over had gotten giddy in price, and those prices are probably likely to come down. On the other hand, cheaper gasoline, and we are going to get much cheaper gasoline going forward than we already have, can only mean that the consumer has more money in his pocket, the ability to buy more goods and services the ability to spend more on housing, the ability to have cars that go farther and out in suburbs, I think all those things are going to argue well for uh, real estate prices exurbia, if there is such a term. Um, And so if I had the ability to do the spread, I'd be a buyer of suburban land. I'd be a seller of North Dakota and West Texas. I think those are fundamentally warranted. But how can, uh, in broad circumstances, gasoline prices coming down below two dollars per gallon and they will be there across the nation in the not-too-distant future be anything other than supportive of the economy generally of the consumer specifically and of real estate prices on balance in general terms. I cannot understand how it can be anything other than supportive.
0: All right, good stuff. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, real estate and and land investing. Uh, Coming up shortly, you're going to be one of the featured speakers at this Land Investment Expo. We're excited to be attending. And, of course, people are interested in land for all kinds of reasons, certainly for development, obviously oil-producing land, and that's going to be down in price as a possibility. But let's talk specifically about agriculture, farming, the ability to create income, from land. How do you see that market?
5: Well, I'm a little concerned about the agricultural land because I think the, the period of seeing soybean prices in the teens, wheat prices above $7, corn prices above $5, I'm afraid we're not going to see that. I'm afraid that if there is one deflationary impact to be derived from falling crude oil is it tends to weigh heavily upon commodity prices generally. Uh, at the same time, when you have net gas prices, uh, at uh, 2 and $3 per million uh, British thermal units, the ability to produce nitrogen fertilizer at, a, at increasingly decreased prices, it means that corn farmers are going to be produced, uh, spending more money, putting greater amounts of nitrogen onto corn and probably putting downward pressure upon corn prices. Two, the ethanol industry, I think, is in dire straits. Uh, I, I, nobody wants to hear that. With fruit under pressure, with gasoline under pressure, it is abundantly clear that ethanol will be in, under further pressure. I don't think that the government is going to be uh, amenable to increasing the ethanol mandate. I think, if anything, they'll decrease the ethanol mandate. So I'm hard-pressed to put together anything other than a, best a neutral view of land values as far as agriculture is concerned. Uh, I think as long as American farmers continue to be as abundantly productive as they have been and certainly will continue to be in the future... It's going to be a nice, pleasant return, but are we going to see the, the increases in land values that we've seen over the course of the past five years? No, absolutely not.
0: Well, when we look at all real estate, it's really uh valued based on the income it derives. That may not be true in housing markets where it's all owner-occupants, where it's more about what the most recent neighbor's home sold for, but certainly income property and oil, uh, producing wells, those kinds of properties, even the leases on those properties are all determined by the ultimate income. If we're looking at an opportunity for, you know, we've got a calorie crunch coming, meaning that there's more population, they've got to ingest calories, we're going to have to produce more food, and yet it sounds like, for a lot of reasons we're going to believe that that food's going to be less expensive, which again is a win across the board. Where is the opportunity, do you think, in the land side of that business?
5: Well, I I think that single-family housing uh, has been under pressure for the past several years as, for lack of a better term, uh, the, the X and Y generation have gone into their parents' basement and begun to play, uh, had become gamers. What a terrible word. But they have been, they have been out gaming rather than looking for jobs or getting jobs. They're going to get jobs. That's going to change. The unemployment rate is demonstrably lower than it was. It's going to get demonstrably better than it has been. And the Gen X and Gen Y are coming out. He, there's no question. They, we have had a decline in marriage rates. Marriage rates are going to go back up again as the economy continues to show strength, and you're going to see, a, and I think, an increase in single-family housing, uh, that will probably surprise a number of people. That, that, I think, if you're going to make a bet on real estate, that's probably the best bet of all. They'll come out of, if they have not been in their parents' basement, they've been renting, and their propensity to move out of rental units and into real housing to buy their first home, I think, is going to be very strong. So there, I think, is the real advantage in the next several years is to supply Decent single-family housing, not the mega palaces that have been the the dominant force. The decent hundred to two hundred thousand dollar house. Hard to believe that those are going to be starters, but the star houses. That's where I think in the next several years the real growth is going to be. It makes economic sense. It makes demographic sense, and and I think it makes actual fiscal sense going forward. So that's the, that's I think going to be the the hot item.
0: All right. Good stuff. Now, Dennis, before we let you get out of here, let's talk a little bit about the Garmin letter. You've been writing this letter now for nearly 30 years. And uh, tell us about uh, what you do there and and who your subscribers are.
5: Well, I've been getting up every morning. I I actually have been doing it now since the early 1980s. And I'm proud to say I haven't missed a uh, a business day in that period of time, except for the one day I took off for my parents' funeral anniversary about uh, 10 years ago. I get up every morning at 1 o'clock Eastern Time and, and try to prepare eight or nine pages of of an overview of what's going on around the global economy. I write about the the bond market, I write about the exchange market, I write about the energy market, I write about agriculture. As I like to say, I'm the liberal arts major of the capital markets. A goodly portion of the largest hedge hedge funds in the world are subscribers, a goodly portion of the largest trading operations at the large banks are subscribers, a goodly portion of the largest energy traders, both natural gas and crude oil, Um, mutual fund managers... And interestingly enough, a fair number of uh, of large individual investors. We really don't have that many people because it's not very it, it's not inexpensive. It's it's really quite an expensive enterprise. But I've been doing it now for a long period of time, and uh, hopefully I can do it for another ten or fifteen years. I am the luckiest person in the world. I get to perform every day and talk about the markets, hopefully passing along some cogent economic uh, insights. With a dash of humor every once in a while, a spoonful of medicine does help the economics go down.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, January 23rd, it's a Friday, and uh, we're going to be together in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, for the Land Investment Expo. Lots of great speakers, including yourself and Donald Trump. What can folks expect to hear from you at the event?
5: They'll probably expect to hear from me that the economy is doing okay, that it's going to continue to do okay, that the Federal Reserve probably will be very slow in raising interest rates, that inflation is not going to be a problem going forward. I guess we'll focus mostly upon what's going on in macro terms around the world, and I bet most people will come away feeling better about what things are doing rather than feeling ill about how things are doing. I I tend to be a glass three-quarters full, not even half full, and the last seven or eight years, that's been the proper attitude to have.
0: Well, and that's pretty refreshing when it comes to all the folks we hear talking about the economy. So, uh, great stuff. Awesome having you on the program. We'll look forward to seeing you in Iowa. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. I look forward to seeing you. It's going to be great good fun. Let's hope we. Uh, let's hope it's not too cold. Absolutely. That's Dennis Gartman, folks. Uh, more on uh, what we're going to be doing at that event. We'll talk uh, a little more about land today when we return. This is the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms need help with your real estate investment
3: portfolio check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com
0: ever thought about investing in land whether for development agriculture or just as a real store of value land can be an important part of any real estate portfolio now's your chance to learn about the economics of income producing farmland at the eighth annual land investment expo learn from a seasoned panel of land experts live and in person including donald trump It takes place Friday, January 23rd in Des Moines, Iowa, and you'll find all the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com under events. Russ and I will be there, so come say hello. Find out about unique opportunities and meet key professionals at the Land Investment Expo. Hi, this is Donald Trump and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. If you ever wanted to make big money doing bigger deals, then you ought to come out to the Secrets of Successful Syndication. We'll be in Las Vegas, Nevada. All the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. It's coming right up first weekend in February, and there's a special crowdfunding event happening beforehand. You'll learn all about that when you go to the site. Hey, we're talking today about uh, land and about uh, opportunities, and wow, what a amazing uh, resource for information. Mr. Dennis Garman.
2: Yeah, it's, it's actually, I mean, both those guys, it's- very exciting because I think probably the first and most important thing as a real estate investor is to keep your mind open to new ideas, new markets, new strategies, because the world is constantly changing, the world is different with forty-five dollar a barrel oil than it was at one hundred and forty-five dollars, yep. right? The world is different when the stock market is at eighteen thousand versus when it was at six thousand. When interest rates are whatever they are, and how things move around, and you know, there's a lot of things that are in constant fluid motion. You know, if you can imagine money like the currents of the ocean or the winds of the earth, and they f- it just moves around from asset class or product type or geography or demographic. You've got what's going on with the baby boomers and now the millennials. There's just lots of things as an investor for you to be thinking about. And you cannot possibly keep track of it all. You can't understand it all. What you need to do is do what we do, I think, which is listen to a lot of different people talk about a lot of different things, hear what they believe and think and how they got there and ask yourself, does that make sense to me? And then begin to investigate the things that are of greatest interest to you and become more knowledgeable on those and begin to get schooled on it right to me the agriculture investment thing makes a lot of sense and you know dennis talked about that it didn't maybe look like the most powerful thing right now but then again you have to ask what what resonates with you for me it, it makes sense i feel like there's going to be more people not less they're going to need more food not less And it's a basic thing that is going to stand up in any environment. And, you know, again, if you're concerned about protecting and preserving wealth for the long term, land could be a very powerful thing to do that. Dennis talked about how the downward pressure on oil is good. Peter Schiff says the same thing. Can't wait to talk to him about that on the summit. Because there's a lot of people out there saying how bad the falling oil price is, because it's going to create this bond crisis, which, of course, you know, we've been through that before. So... Yes, it can seem a little confusing, you know, you hear a lot of different voices and a lot of different noise, but you've got to pick a path. You can't just sit on your hands and do nothing, because we know that right now, your dollar, even though it's at an 11-year high, it's got a 100-year trend of going down, and the banks still aren't paying anything that resembles a yield, and so you've got to make some decisions about how are you going to protect, preserve, and grow your wealth. You know, I think that this is something that's probably a lot easier to understand than a lot of people think. I mean, I think it's a heck of a lot harder to figure out how to own an apartment building than it would
0: be to own a farm, if you really think about it. Absolutely. So if you're interested in buying the farm, you ought to come join the Real Estate Guys. We're excited about going to this event for a lot of reasons. First of all, we love to get around smart people in areas where we don't know much, and we are not experts at land. Sure, we have bought land, we own land, but we're not experts at land at all, and yet we're going to hear some experts at this event for sure. But as you heard from Steve, Donald Trump doesn't know anything about land. But Donald Trump knows a lot of stuff, right? You might like him or hate him, but just being in the room with Donald Trump has always proven to be a great thing for us. We've had the great opportunity to see him several times, and I tell you what, every time he elevates my thinking, he challenges me, he's a great guy to get around just from a motivation standpoint. Now you're in a room with 600-plus serious people. I mean, this is going to be an awesome event. If you want to join the Real Estate Guys for the Land Investment Expo, just go to our website at realestateguysradio.com, if you look under events, you'll see land. Investment Expo January 23rd Come on out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, say hi. We'll
0: be sitting in the uh, seats taking notes. Yes, we will. Lots of uh, great opportunities uh, this year and a new year. We're very excited to uh, also be uh, heading to Dallas the next day. There's a big real estate investor expo there. And uh, you'll find that information. And, of course, the Secrets of Successful Syndication uh, is coming up in February. So come on out to events. Say hi to the real estate guys. And uh, consider that land may be a pretty awesome opportunity. After all, they're not making any more of it. Until next week, go out and make some extra happened.
3: This episode of the Real Estate Guys radio show is brought to you by Paradigm Life, powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at BeYourBank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton.